The Athletic. By Van der Waal. On by Kabul! 2-0 down! 3-2 up! Spurs at Arsenal! Hello and welcome everybody to The View from the Lane once again, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by The Athletic's James Moore and Jack Pitt-Brook for our preview of the North London Derby, which is a, why my voice has gone up half an octave and why I'm speaking even more quickly than usual. It's a sign of oncoming hysteria. I'll shake my hands and get the blood flowing to the extremities again. Um, why don't we start... Um, since um, James, you particularly, and me occasionally, get accused of being negative about Spurs, why don't we start with a glorious positive memory of the one time Spurs have won in the in the Premier League, in the North London derby um, at the Emirates. Uh, were you there in 2010 for the I famous 3-2? I've, I've been to the Emirates to watch Spurs twice and they've drawn both times. Uh-huh. So you're a good, that's good, that's pretty good. So it's not, not terrible. And unfortunately, I won't be there on uh, on Saturday lunchtime. Yeah, that that game was pretty incredible, really. For for that, to, for the only time Spurs have won at the Emirates to be this mad game where they go two 0 down at half time and then completely turn it on its head in the second half. I mean, I suppose that's the way you'd want to do it, isn't it? Oh yeah, if you, if you could choose, if you could choose your path to victory. I mean, I remember I was there working for Talksport, and um, at half time we were doing the oh what a terrible Spurs were a couple of goals down, hadn't really turned up at all. And Harry had just taken over, hadn't he? Redknapp. What a terrible job Harry's got here. That they're a million miles off here. Um, this Arsenal team are just showing them um, what they've got to do to. But the fact was that Spurs team had lots of talent in it. I'm not, with all due respect, and I'm sure he's a regular listener to Alan Hutton. Um, you know, uh, Aaron Lennon was a good player. Luka Modric was, you know, bordering on genius um, at various times. Van der Vaart was a good player. Bale was a good player. Um, and I wonder whether it's a, a lesson for Antonio Conte that the turning point for me in the game was when he uh, replaced Aaron Lennon, God bless him, um, with, with Jermaine Defoe and started to play two up front. Spurs, I mean, it was, it was pure red nap. The response to going two down was to get more aggressive, not try and be more defensive, not try and sort out the, 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 the leakages at the back. He got on the front foot and they played really, really well. So that means that... I've just got the game up on the internet here. So that means that in the second half, Spurs' midfield would have been Van der Vaart, Genus, Modric and Bale mm. with Pavlyuchenko and Defoe up front. That is an and, amazingly and attacking... And Conte insists on playing two... Yeah, what an amazingly attacking four-man midfield. Oh, uh, you know, um, later on, Harry brought in, I think, Scott Parker, didn't he, to shore it up. But for a while there, Spurs were playing six up front. And how jolly it was too. Um, because Our athletic colleague, Michael Cox, the tactical doyen that he is, I, I think I'm right in saying, and I hope I'm not misquoting him, he's, he says that's the best substitution or, or like the kind of the substitution in the Premier League that's changed the game the most, that Defoe one you just mentioned. Well, I think it was, to me, as I recall, and I haven't watched the game for some time, it was the, the it just changed the, uh, the the moment the shape the momentum is what people want to say the shape of the two teams was completely altered by that substitution and of course you're right James to say um, it's that you could only win that way that's that that if you could choose it that'd be the way to win but there was even one more juiciness wasn't there one more cherry tottering on what was already a magnificently iced cake when it was two two am I right in thinking that Lauren Koscielny missed from about a yard and that Arsenal could have taken the lead again I think I am. 
Um, yeah, that does sound familiar. That does sound familiar. Yeah, did he head the ball over from, back, from underneath the crossbar? Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, before Yunus Kalbu, who had threatened to do it five minutes earlier on an in-swinging free kick, got, you know, you only need 2% of touch, don't you, to change the direction of the ball, and in it went. All of which, of course, leads us to the big game on Saturday. I don't like that it's an early kickoff. Um, I think that tends, I mean, it tends to not help the fans at all. And it tends to, I suspect, if you're the away team, though, you'll say, well, okay, good, then they won't have a load of drunk people behind them. Um, let's just get, try and get a feel for what kind of teams they'll put out. I guess a lot of that depends, Jack, on uh, Kuliszewski's hamstring injury. Um, and in the in the press conference, we're recording this just seconds after Antonio Conte finished his press conference, he was unbelievably closed mouth about it. Do we know anything about Kuliszewski? What we know is that Kuliszewski returned. He he played. He started both games for Sweden over the Nations League campaign. The, they lost four one to Serbia and then drew one all with Slovenia. He started both of those. Uh, came back feeling a bit of a kind of minor hamstring issue. Uh, this has been this has been scanned and it's being monitored at Tottenham. But the the feeling I think is that he is unlikely to play this Saturday. I don't know how serious it is beyond that. I know at the press conference this afternoon, which I wasn't at, but Tim was at, just judging by what Conte said, he did, I mean, he didn't want to say anything about Kulusevsky, but I think in the when asked about it, but he was also asked about the formation, potential formation. I think he did admit that, you know, Kulusevsky might have a problem going into this game. So, uh, yeah, I would certainly recommend people taking them out of, his fantasy, out of their fantasy teams. Well, we'll come on to that press conference in just a second. I should say that Kulusevsky's had quite a, an adventure in his international break. After that whacking they got from Serbia um, and um, Mitrovic, um, he went on Swedish television to complain bitterly um, about the way football is organised in Sweden and pointed out that countries with similar-sized um, populations and um, financial arrangements... Uh, he talked about Serbia, Belgium, Denmark. It all started eight to ten years ago with deep down coaching uh, reforms which had turned their national teams into really good teams. He said Sweden had done no such thing and he got a tremendous reprimand from the Swedish manager who said it's none of his business. Uh, his job is to play the game. But um, What a ridiculous attitude from to, to tell Kulisowski it's not his business. Of course, of course it's his business. He's, 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 the team. he's in the team, absolutely, yeah. along with Isaac. If it's not his business, he'll be expected to carry that team for the next decade, won't he? Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what? <laughs> Unlike, say, our Dutch comrades, Swedish people are expected largely to keep in their lane, aren't they? Good so- social housing, um, a decent health service, keep in your lane. But uh, it, there was a row between the two of them after that. They did get a, a good walloping uh, from Serbia. Well, as we say, Antonio Conte, not necessarily at his most communicative in this afternoon's press conference. We can hear now from Tim Spears, the other part of the um, award hoovering, I think is the correct phrase, View from the Lane podcast, who gives us this update from the press conference this afternoon. View from the Lane listeners, hello. Danny, Jack, James, hope you're well. I am out of Antonio Conte's pre-Arsenal press conference, just sat here. Uh, in my car, in the sunshine at the beautiful Tottenham Hotspur training ground, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite an interesting, quite an interesting press conference. Conte was in good form. A few subjects addressed. Injuries doesn't look great to be honest. Um, he sort of conceded that Kulisevsky has an injury, but wouldn't go into it. Didn't want to rule him in or out for Saturday, but said they do have a, a few problems um, that have come out the international break. Um, but he didn't want to give any advantage to Arsenal. 
by revealing those, which I guess is fair enough. Um, so yeah, we'll wait and see on uh, on Saturday morning with the team news. But he said, yeah, Friday's a big day to see how some of his um, players bear up after the international break. Obviously, there's quite a lot of them away. He spoke really well on the Richarlison horrific racist abuse incident when he had a banana thrown at him during the international break. And yeah, Conte does seem to to speak very well on the stuff that really matters. I remember he, he did so when um, when talking about the Queen last month. So. Um, uh, he said it was embarrassing to be honest he said it's it's an it's an incredible thing to have happened in 2022 he hopes the people involved are banned for life and he's just disappointed and annoyed that he has to even comment about it to be honest but trying to take the positives um, of Richarlison having such a good international break with Brazil um he was also uh, asked about links with the Juventus job I know Danny was 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 quite worried about this a couple of weeks ago but um he basically said it's disrespectful to talk about it in terms of the Juventus job it's disrespectful to him to suggest that he might go somewhere else and he was very sort of positive about his future with Spurs as, as he tends to be whenever he's asked about it really he's happy he's enjoying his time the crucial thing is the relationship with the owners and, and that's very good uh, that was about it really the one other thing that came up was uh, someone asked him if he'd watched the Arsenal Amazon documentary and he said uh, he said he started watching it but he hasn't finished um, he's watched the Spurs, Man City and Juventus ones. He says he's, he's curious about them and likes to see how different managers work, etc. He says it's a positive that these documentaries happen because people get to see the inside of football. Um, and then it was put to him that he knows exactly how the Arsenal documentary from last season ends, which was banterific, to be honest, and, and, and many laughs were had by all in the room. So there you go. Some good news, some indifferent news, some bad news, uh, but the football continues. Okay, so we can we since he since he refused to speculate, we can. Go on then, James. Um, let's say that let's accept that Kulishevsky is out for this game. Does he play three very attacking forwards and hope that they can keep in contact with the team, or does he go to two up front and play a three-five-two? I think I'd really like him to go to the three-five-two. And as we talked about after the Leicester game, obviously that was the change that kind of tipped that game massively in in Tottenham's favour. So for me, that's what I would like to happen. Mm -hmm. But as I also think we said after that game, I, I, I don't think it's likely that he's going to have this massive wholesale change, even with this injury sort of half forcing his hand a little bit or making it a slightly easier decision to make. So I suspect it'll be 3-4-3 three, three with Son, Kane and Richarlison as the attacking three in the midfield, as we've seen it before. Uh, but yeah, if it was up to me, which would be a marvellous world, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would probably get the same Rooney team and Kane and Son up front and try and shore it up a little bit. I know, I know that Jack says that the stats suggest that he will not do that, but just as a matter of interest, Jack, everyone's be you know the the three five two. Um, I can see the attraction of it as well. It's what I it's what I play traditionally on Football Manager. Um, the problem is you play Football Manager. Oh yeah, I love Football Manager. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, most but mostly. Let's not be. Let's not mess about here. I play the two thousand and one version of the game. Jack really hates you with a play football manager. I think he said this on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. he, Jack thinks you're a nerd now. I don't care what Jack thinks about that. To be honest, um, you know, I, I would prefer to be in Jack's good books and to be a lifelong chum. There's no um, reason anyone should care what I think about anything. To be honest. No, it's not like. It's, oh, thanks for listening, everyone. See you later. It's, it's, it's not like that. Uh, I understand that. Uh, and it, what happens, Jack, is I like the 2001 version of the game um, before the transfer window comes in in Britain, all the rest of it. And you can very quickly and legally buy a patch on eBay which updates it to all the modern players. Oh, and cool. then, uh, then I don't play it for 18 months at all. And then I play it again and I play it incessantly for six weeks. Then I get bored with it. But I will tell you this 
Um, how I learned to play football manager back in the day, my brother, bless him, was having a uh, a sort of um, relationship breakdown. They hated what was happening to him in his flat. I said, forget all that, move out. Come and live with me. I had a big house in Islington, five-story house, if you include the basement. And it had a spiral staircase all the way up the middle of it. And he said to me, oh, this is a great game now called Football Manager. You'd like it. And of course, and I thought my, my brother is a football nerd. Um, I thought, oh, would I really like it? Anyway, he taught me to play it and we got into it. But we were too mean to buy a second disc. And so he was living and playing with his computer at the very top of the house. And I was in my office at the very bottom of the house. And we would text each other, not even shout up, text each other. And down through the spiral staircase on a string with a safety pin on the bottom of it, would come the disc. We'd pass the disc up and down the house on a small lift we'd operate um, at the time. Pure laziness. I mean, look, I, I, I would say if you live in a five-storey house in Islington with a spiral staircase, mm -hmm. uh, you can probably, like, stump up 30 quid to get another copy of and that And that's game. exactly how I got to be in that house, by not uh, being mm -hmm. as a spendthrift as that. We could have afforded a butler to take the blinking thing up and down a silver salver. <laughs> um, but but that's, not how, that's not how you get to have the, the townhouse in Islington, is it? By throwing money about. If you can let us know how you did get that, that would be great. <laughs> um, my views on football. What more can I tell you? So what are the stats, Jack? He just, he just doesn't, he doesn't go away from his 3-4-3 now. Well, he, the last time I believe he didn't play 3-4-3 was the, four, the famous 1-off 4-4-2, which lost Tottenham the game at Stamford Bridge on the 23rd of January. So that's eight months ago. Uh, I, I think that's... But that's when I he was going was, through his I, nervous breakdown about Chelsea, wasn't I it? I thought it was 20 games in the spin. I've actually screwed that up. It's actually a lot more than 20. Yeah, it's probably more so. in the region of 30-plus games since Tottenham played a different formation. But my, uh, my, it turns out that uh, there's a huge gap in my note-taking my note on this. Um, and do we need to do some like live subbing of the, of the piece? <laughs> so Jack has failed a piece about... Oh, yeah, that actually has just jeopardised the, the story I've written on, on exactly this point. It's going to be published at half past four on Thursday yeah. afternoon. So by the time people are listening to the podcast, that'll be out there. Listen, you could have this factual error. Listeners in can see how useless football I football cliches of very own Adam Hurry doesn't correct the mistake. So if, the, if our listeners see that error in that piece... Give me a sec. ...you'll know that football cliches Adam Hurry has not adequately subbed that article. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, this eight, is the nine, stuff. This is the end. 10, 10, all of this left in the 12, podcast. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, God, this is 18, 19, 20. Premium content. But it doesn't stop at 20, though, does it? No, there's many more. 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. 29, 29 games in the spin, uh -huh. not 20. Should I quickly slack Adam Hurry and tell him? Yeah, if you don't mind. What a podcast this is! <laughs> I know. So, who, so if there's a, if there's an injury up front or he wants to change it, who's going to come on? Yeah, that is. It's nice to have the, the idea of Richardson being on, and this isn't a criticism of Richardson at all. But the idea of having Richardson on the bench as the plan B, very lucky, is, yeah, is really nice, isn't it? Yeah, very, very comforting. The idea that it could be a tight game, you know, nil-nil of -nil half an hour to play and then you chuck on Rich Arlison. Well, for two reasons. Because one, he's a good player and two, he's a very disruptive player, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he turns up in odd places and, and sometimes does some very odd things. And my, then my issue is that, um, Jack, that the the other problem with the, with the, with the, uh, the idea of playing five is that the three are quite similar. Who is the person who's going to pass the ball for Spurs out those three midfielders? Is it Basuma running with the ball, or is it Hoiberg's occasionally inspired pass? 
I don't know. I don't know what the balance would be. I don't even know if it would definitely be Basuma no, and not Skip. No, could be Skip, could uh, yeah. I don't think that Basuma has... I mean, look, it's kind of obvious that Basuma hasn't made a great impression so far since he joined Tottenham. Uh, Conte took the slightly unusual step of talking explicitly recently, saying that Basuma still need, needs to learn in, I think, what he calls the tactical aspect. Um, he loves Skip. Skip obviously has come back and played on 21. It's his first game in about... His first game actually since Tottenham have... Um, uh, you know, this long run of playing 3-4-3, which starts at the same time. So I don't know. I think it, it could just as likely be Skip as, as Bissouma. Um I just think it's it's just not... I just don't I don't think it's what Conte wants to do, although maybe he'll end up compromising just because of the specifics of this game. It does feel like it would be chucking one or other of those two in at the deep end. And I know, you know, they've both played uh, plenty of Premier League games, maybe not quite in Skip's case, but they've had a lot of Premier League games between them previously. The idea of coming in from the cold, you know, Skip having been injured for seven, eight months, Basuma having not yet started, oh sorry, only started one Premier League game uh, this season and it not really going particularly well for him. The idea that you chuck one or, one or other of those two in against a team top of the league, we know broadly how they're going to be up for that game. I mean, I, th- I think we all have a fairly good idea of the way Arsenal are going to approach that from the off. It's going to be, it's going to be an intense game. Uh, the idea of chucking one or other of those in, I guess, that it maybe wouldn't be particularly appealing to Conte. Although he does have, he will be, he will be, yes, I agree with you. You know, this is exactly the kind of thing Charlie would remember. But the listeners should forget about Charlie for six months now. He's gone. Mm. This is exactly the kind of thing Charlie would remember, though. And Tim would never know. You know, when, when Conte won the league with Chelsea in 1617, there was that game where he changed the system. He changed to a back three after like three or four games. Yeah, mm-hmm. was it a game against Arsenal? It was or after a game against. Arsenal? Oh, it's at Arsenal. It was du- mid. It was during the game at the Emirates, I think. Mid game, they started. They were getting so beat. Spurs are getting battered anymore. Spurs are getting battered, and he changes to three five two, and then he sticks with that for the rest of the season. We win the league. That'd be amazing. Well, we'd settle I'd for that. I, yeah. would t- I would take that. Yeah, I would take it. Yeah. I would be willing to concede that game for Spurs to win the league. That's how humble I am. Yeah, and, and and everyone notes your your modesty the entire time. Um, do, you because, think because, if, do you think if like looking down the line at you know a potential future in which Spurs play three five two, do you think it could be Kulisewski could end up playing as a ten, as in is one of the midfield? Absolutely, three? and I think that's what he wants to do as well. Um, the drifting in, although it does it, it takes away that it cut inside. To the left-hand corner of the box, and the le- and then uh, uh, that's their defensive left-hand corner, yeah. and his left-footed curler, which of course it turns out Son is even better at um, around the goalkeeper. Um, but I think I think if yeah, uh, well, uh, of the players who are currently at the club, the only one who's equipped to play ten, uh, other than Kane, is is Kulishevsky, yeah? yeah. Brian Gill. This is Brian Gill erasure. <laughs> oh dear, now now Chuck him in. This is this is uh, Brian Brian Hill is the new Indombly for you, isn't he? You're going to just keep on scratching that itch for us, aren't you? Right, yeah. I need, I need some new like bits this season. <laughs> Do you follow him on Instagram, Jack Brian Hill? Uh, I assume so. I know I've talked about his Instagram stories before and his famous trips to Westminster Bridge, but uh, over the international break, he he posted loads of clips of him playing for Spain under twenty ones, like with, with like flame emojis and stuff. Uh, but they weren't like, I, I mean, I don't, you know, and I, I don't want to be unfair. I don't want to be unfair, 
but they weren't like amazing bits of skill or like key passes in moves that led to goals. They were just sort of like six out of ten sideways passes that step over uh, passing back to the full Flame, flame. Nothing like hugely <laughs> impressive. Fire, fire. Yeah, flames. <laughs> Brian Hill is on flames. Pass completion. Who is the best? I mean. Who is the best current Tottenham player on Instagram? Great question. Great question. I haven't got a clue. I don't really know. They're all kind of. Um, Richarlison's funny on social yeah, media. Yeah, it's not bad, Richarlison. If if I think with someone like that, if it's really him, I really like it. And if it's yeah. not him, it's like you know, it's fine. But if it's actually him doing it, it's amazing. Yeah, it, I mean, you know what the, I mean, it kind of feels like one of those where if it's actually him and it's really him, his personality and it's personal, it's really good. And the chances of it is fine. The chances of it being him are actually quite low. I think sadly, I would say so. More or less, every Brazilian footballer hires like fifteen different people from their childhood to do all this sort of well, stuff. You, right? two, I mean, you two have both got blue ticks on Twitter. Are, you, are they your actual tweets, or do you have flunkies who do that for you? Uh, uh, no. So why do we both pause then? Like the answer because, was, because, because you're trying to make up a lie. Because 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 a funny joke. I was trying to come up with a funny joke, <laughs> uh, but actually. I Save those for Twitter. Fu- I don't have anything funny to say, as usual. So, uh, no, all, all my tweets are mine, or are mine, sadly. Now, James, now you don't take, take full responsibility. To see, see who who has posted good stuff on Instagram recently, and there's nothing really from uh, any of the Spurs players. Can can I use this uh, Instagram uh, tangent to plug my work-related Instagram account? Which is Jack Pitbrook Athletic. James got his head in his hands here, but because you have so this. much personality that you feel like you need two Instagram. Accounts, I do need though. two Instagram accounts. Uh, Laurie Whitwell's got two Instagram accounts. So yeah, if you in, if you're on Instagram and want to see pictures of uh, football grounds I've been to and other football journalists, and that's it really. Uh, you can uh, hold, hold, hold on. pictures Pit- of Jack and Miguel. Uh, hold the bus. Jack Pitbrook Athletic. Who's, who's on? What's on your other Instagram account then? <laughs> Jack's oh, personal Instagram account. And I know a lot of the follow. Uh, the listeners will follow this as well jack's personal instagram account is, is entirely him taking photographs of his tv watching like the no Sopranos it's or not succession there's, there's a lot of that so my, my, personal, my personal instagram account yeah it's got a lot of what i watch on tv it's also pictures of like gigs and my wife and me in the pub and that's it really okay i, I, I begin to see the separation of church and state here uh, listen, thank you very much indeed. We might return to Jack's various um, media platforms on another day when the, when the, when the podcast is even more slow. Um, <laughs> Fortunately, there's nothing to talk about. So, um, Emerson Royale for right back against Arsenal? I don't, uh, yeah, I'm not, Don't I don't hate, hate it, Island. I don't hate it. He was at four for one of the goals, but he actually played. He looked what, what the upside. He looked really fit, slightly even more lean than usual. Um, and with a better beard than usual. Downside, he was a 4-4-A goal, but it was good to see him just running around, to be truthful. And Jed, Sp- Jed Spence played for the under-21s as well. Yeah, it sounded like Spence played really well, actually, against Italy for the under-21s. Against uh, Destiny Udoji, Udoji yeah. I believe, yeah. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not really against Royale playing in this game, actually. It kind of feels like a game that befits having the best defender of the right wing-backs, probably. I think yeah. that's what we'd say he was. I think I think that's up, okay. Up against Martinelli. Yeah, actually, I think that's quite. That would be quite shrewd. I mean, you say that like it isn't just what he would do anyway. But I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I, I think it probably is the right choice in this instance. Yeah, because they, uh, you know, we got. We'll, perhaps we get. We're going to get a flavour of how to beat Arsenal a little later from the one team who have beaten them. Manchester United, of course, um, did defeat them. 
Um, we'll be hearing from uh, the Athletics Manchester United man Carl Anker a little later on how they achieved that. But we have to bear in mind, Arsenal are a somewhere between a good and a blinking good team just now. And whoever Spurs line out in their nine-man defence, um, they're going to have to deal with uh, Odegaard, who is running games from midfield, with Martinelli, who is fulfilling the promise people saw in him, and Gabriel Jesus, who, in a slightly different system than Manchester City's, is proving to be a far more creative player, as well as a good finisher, than he was perhaps at Manchester City. Um, I, don't, I don't want to build Arsenal up too much here, because, you know, the best way for Spurs to win this game is to think about themselves and get after it. And to start well, please don't sit there on the edge of the box for the first 20 minutes trying to, you know, take the crowd out of the game or anything like that, Spurs. For God's sake, get on the front foot. And as I always say... That is exactly what they're going to do, though. Oh, I know exactly what they're going to do, yes. Also, you you, you can't take the crowd out of the game in a game like this by doing that. No, you're encouraging them, if anything. You're encouraging them. Yeah. If Spurs are 10% possession in the first 15 minutes of the game and are camped in their own penalty area constantly and Romero is having to keep... and Dyer are having to make, like, these mad blocks, they're going to be bang up for it. Yeah, and there will like, also take be... Take out of it, get a ball, knock it around, be really boring. And they will be doing... trying to score a goal. Doing the new thing Either that football all. fans do now, where they try not to influence the referee, but to influence the VAR people to review every time the ball strikes somebody in the penalty area, even if it's clearly on their shin. The crowd goes mad, and the hope of the hubbub will alert the snoozing figure in Stockley Park, if it is still Stockley Park, uh, to wake up and find a reason to give a penalty. Um, and I told Jack, I told, you know, my idealism of risking the game, uh, risking the game of losing it to in order to enhance the possibility of winning 3 2. Antonio and I could sit together in some lovely wine bar in Tuscany for a million years, and we're never going to see eye to eye about that ever, ever, ever. Um, all right, we'll, we'll come back um, to how to beat Arsenal in the, in the second half. We'll also discuss, I think, um, set pieces and. What a big part they've played, according to the experts in the Athletic in Spurs' season so far. We'll also be bringing you, um, I think, a, a, a brilliant update of last week, uh, last podcast rather, when we're talking about sampling managers after Jose Mourinho turned up in the new Stormzy um, song and video. Um, I, no, none of you answered the question we asked correctly, but they did. You have, we have been overwhelmed with places where football managers and popular music intersect, and we're going to talk about those in a few minutes' time here on The View from the Lane. Um, And I will also be bringing all of that together with the greatest sampled record that reflects the North London derby. All of that is coming up in the next few minutes in the second half of The View from the Lane, where you're listening to me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. If you having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 59% win ratio is second to none. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. James Moore and Jack Pitbrook are with me as well. And I have to say this, um, we've had a you know, brief interlude while you've been um, hearing messages and things. And boy, oh boy, that stuff's all been recorded. That will be coming out in a Christmas special that will lay waste all other podcasts. Look out for it. Um, it's really going to be good. And one almost 100% libelous, so you'll enjoy that too. Um, listen, on Monday on the show, we pleaded with our, our wonderful uh, listeners, downloaders, and subscribers 
um, to help finding other managers who'd been sampled in music, like Jose Mourinho had been done by Stormzy. You'll see that in his new video as well. Well, a lot of you replied, I mean, none of it, to be honest, was exactly spot on what we wanted, but there was a lot of links between popular music and football managers. Um, we were reminded first by uh, Ali, uh, a.k.a. DJ Giller, who said that, listen, Stormzy has form for this kind of thing and reminded us of a clip from the song Know Me from... David Moyes doesn't actually appear, but a bloke wearing David Moyes' mask does. So thanks to DJ Giller for that. Sam Limes said... Um, give him a ball and a yard of grass by the Sultans of Ping, um, about, a band about whom I'd forgotten, I think, completely, um, is based on Brian Clough's quotes about his former Scottish left-winger, John Robertson. And you know what? It is. Give him a ball and a yard of grass. I'll give you a move for the perfect pass. Give him a ball and a yard of space. Where's my jumper? A classic. That's right. The the, the, the Sultans of Ping. Is it on the same record or is it B side to the? That's. Uh, oh, now you're now you're you're, test, you're, you're, you're testing my old noggin there. Um, what Jack is referring to there is that the Sultans of Ping, well, the Sultans of Ping FC, as they were briefly called. Sultans of Ping FC. Yeah, yeah. they did have a great song called "Where's My Jumper." Trying to think it was they that caused the, the famous DJ Steve Lamack, these days of Radio 6 fame, to break his instep on the on the, on my desk. Um, was it a, no, it was a we put the Sultans of Ping on the cover of the NME when I was editor. Steve comes in because it was his idea, flushed with success two weeks later, and there was another Irish band, even more obscure, that he wants to put on the cover. When I talked to the rest of the staff out of it, he kicked my desk so hard that he had to be hospitalised with a broken instep. Not a toe or a metatarsal. His actual instep had cracked. Full. Cultured footballer, clearly. Full. He's a Colchester fan. So I just che- I just looked up on Spotify, which I hope is correct. Mm. Um, Where's My Jumper and Give Him a Ball and a Yard of Grass were on the... They're, they're not on the same single. They're on the same album. Uh, Casual Sex and Cineplex, which came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Sultans of Ping FC, I'm not sure which one, actually went on, I think, to become either a historian or a philosopher because he quite taught quite a lot of my friends at university. Wow, that is a brilliant career handbrake turn as well, isn't it? Fantastic. Um, and later on, we'll hear about somebody else who's gone from making low-key, low perhaps, indie music, some of it referring to the North London Derby, to going on to being... A huge bigwig, of whom I'm, I'm pretty sure, I don't know about James's musical proclivities, pretty sure Jack's all across his works, and we'll come on to that a little bit later. Next up was Aaron Rawdin, who said, my first thought for a manager quote to be sampled was Gennaro Gattuso's famous, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit line. Um, it seems right for sampling. Very good indeed. And finally, for now, um, at Pugtastrophe, on Twitter, that's at Pugtastri wrote, I'm amazed Danny never mentioned the reference. It has to be a negative about somebody, doesn't it, James? I don't understand that. Yeah, um, he says he was amazed that Danny never mentioned the reference to arguably the greatest manager of all time, Matt Busby, mentioned by the greatest band of all time, the Beatles. Yet we weren't talking about mentions. We were talking about samples. Of course, Sir Matt Busby, along with B.B. King and one of two other great people, is mentioned in Dig It uh, by the Beatles on their Let It Be album.
Okay, I've been on tenterhooks since we started doing this piece because I suddenly remembered, of course, that there is a great record which does sampling of, uh, of actual football voices and which is very pertinent to the North London derby. Cast your mind back a long time. So these two are still um, wearing diapers, as people now call nappies. Um, the 1991 FA Cup semi-final Spurs beat Arsenal. Paul Gascoigne's free kick from miles out, um, which... David Seaman kind of fumbled on its way into the net or didn't make a very good attempt to get at. The following day, the members, Jack, of two famous indie bands, the Cocteau Twins and Lush, Lush, who are called Mickey Berenyi, um, their female star, um, she's got a brilliant new autobiography out this very, very week. I recommend it to you if you're interested in music from that period of time. They got together the next day and under the name of the Lilies, the Lily Whites, because they were supporters of the Spurs, various members of the two bands. They put together a brilliant flexi-disc, which is somewhere in the back of my barn, called And David Seaman Will Be Disappointed With That. Mavitz fed it well. Naeem to the left. Samways ahead. And Lineker uses him by not using him. Good try, score! And David Seaman will be very disappointed about that. It seems to go through his fingers. Good break by Tottenham. And there you have it. What about that? You've not heard that before, Jack. No, I had no idea Cocteau Twins were into football. Well, actually, it's completely it's, it's, to me. It's only Simon Raymond, and where, where we talked about your friend from the Sultans of Ping, who'd become a philosopher. Simon, of course, has gone on from being a football-supporting me member of an indie band to running what... It, it may not be... The, is it the best or the most successful record company in the world, Bella Union? What do you think, Jack? Oh, wow. I, I had no idea. That's incredible. Simon runs. He, he chew So... Beach House, who I think we both love. I think that's yeah, fair yeah. to say, yeah. Um, Father John Misty, um, Jonathan Wilson, Midlake, Spiritualized, Flaming Lips, um, and on and on and on and on and on um, is run by Simon Raymond, who is a massive Spurs fan. Um, also, of course, on the show. I'll see what I can do about Simon, that. Simon, if you're listening. Um, and, and Ivor Raymond, his father, was Dusty Springfield's producer. Do I have to go on? Do wow. we? We're just knitting the world together here, ladies and gentlemen. What appeared to you to be a fog of nothingness is now being knit into a kind of bunker of knowledge. Are there um, any other shoegaze Spurs fans? Did my bloody Valentine support Spurs? Oh, I, well, I have spoken to Kevin on many occasions. He doesn't appear to know much about anything other than music, if I'm absolutely frank with you. Um, let me think. Other shoegaze Spurs fans. I'll come back to that one. I'll come back. This to is that. one for our Twitter listeners to, to chip and in for on. the Chris for the Christmas special where we're playing the interludes, which we don't record or put out on the podcast, which are both very sweary and tremendously libelous. Look forward to that, everybody. Um, Nine ninety nine. It'll be like boxing on Sky. Um, let's go back to the game um, and let's hear about the one team who have actually managed to defeat Arsenal so far this season. Because let's be fair, and I got to, we have to say this, Arsenal are good. Um, so how can Spurs overcome them? Manchester United, as I say, are the only team who have done that so far. So we asked Carl Anker from the Athletics Talk of the Devils podcast, it's good, but it's not that good, is it? Um, for some friendly advice. Um, they hate Arsenal, Manchester United. We just have to live alongside them. This is what Carl had to say. Right. First important caveat. This Arsenal team is legit. This is the best I've seen Arsenal play for quite some time. But I think if you want to beat Arsenal, what you need to do is essentially 
lure them onto you. So the first goal Manchester United score comes about through Christian Eriksen's very clever play, passing not only forwards, but also backwards, basically getting Arsenal to progress slightly further up and press Manchester United further, and then quickly passing through the lines, getting into the final third. I think from the outside looking in, Antonio Conte's team is quite interesting in that they don't necessarily press from the front and are very good at creating those transitional moments. The big question is, are Hoiberg and Bentecourt capable of passing into that final third quickly in the same way that Christian Eriksen is? I would suggest not, but I think if you want to beat Arsenal, now the big way to stop them or to, to score goals is in them quick transitional moments. Carl Anker there, just uh, giving us a, a taster of how Manchester United beat um, Arsenal. But to me, um, James, the, the issue here is it's not going to be uh, this tactical masterclass between Arteta and Conte uh, or this tactical battle between Arteta and Conte. Um, if the Spurs players are in the game, then you know the good London derbies, the good Spurs-Arsenal derbies, the good North London derbies over the years have been the ones where the, man- where the managers have lost control of it. And the players have kind of taken over and said, right, we're going for this now, reacting to the crowd and the atmosphere. Define good. Do you mean in terms of like entertainment for the neutral or Spurs getting a good they're result? Often, they're often quite cagey games and dull games until something happens. And my fear is that in those games, the home team tends to prevail and Arsenal also in very good form. Um, I suspect I suspect the best of the games have been the ones where uh, a foul or one of the teams going so far behind, Allard 2010, that they just have to get up and have a go, have been the, be- the better games. I, yeah, I guess I just don't see this game being one of those games where Spurs cede control in that way. Like, I, 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 you know, it obviously it's going to be a really difficult game, but I just don't see Spurs like leaving themselves exposed in a way that would mean they were 2 0 down. Um, I mean, famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to say it. Yeah. And I, I, it seems. I think it's, uh, Antonio Conte, I'm going to be very diplomatic here, I don't want to curse Spurs, all right? I would say, in general, an Antonio T- Conte team is more tactically solid than a Harry Redknapp team. <laughs> God, look at that. So, when Spurs are 2-0 down at half-time on Saturday, uh, don't tweet me about that, all right? It's I'm not, gonna it's not actually it. my fault. But no, it'll feel like it's my fault, but don't bother, don't bother contacting me. Jack will arouse himself from his latest... Um, um, TV watching of Strictly Come Dancing recordings, which is then putting up on Instagram, not one of his Instagram accounts, but the other one, to tell James that he he was wrong. I hope I'm wrong Strictly. Too. I hope that I, <laughs> I hope the whole thing um, comes crashing down to a mad game of of end to end stuff because I believe Spurs are the players to win that game. Um, but I just don't think that's what they'll try and do. No. I think they're. I think it's going to be. It's going to be a really. Inter- it's going to be what uh, people. Call- it's it's going to be a really interesting clash of styles in the sense that Arsenal, like the the two teams are play, trying to play a completely different game. It's not like I mean, it's not like you know in the Pochettino era where Tottenham would be aggressive and try and be on the front foot. You know, Tottenham don't want the ball. Like they they barely want the ball in in any in any game we've seen them play this season, especially in this game. They're going to have about twenty five percent possession. They're going to be camped on the edge of the box. They're going to let Arsenal have the ball. They're going to try and break. So. Like we shouldn't expect Tottenham to come out and play aggressively and get the ball because they won't. Generally, what I would say is that it, it it actually does suit this Spurs team for for any match they're in to be a match of very few chances because you know as we've seen from all of the bleating about XG in the last couple of weeks, Spurs are, are overperforming on XG again, but they're overperforming on XG because they've got Son and Kane who score 
consistently score way over XG. So uh, if it's a game of very, very few chances, you Arsenal, I would say, are one of those teams that, I, I mean, I'm not looking at their XG as we speak. It might be that they're performing very well on that now. But generally, I think they're one of those teams that don't perform particularly brilliantly, but create a lot of chances in general. So I would say if it was a game, of, a, a tight cagey game of few chances and that might suit Spurs more than Arsenal maybe I'm not sure I'd historically say that was the case but maybe with a dynamic as it is at the moment I would say possibly it would be well I'll put my neck out here despite um, uh, nearly a hundred goes at this podcast now I still haven't learned my lesson not to stick my neck out and say I think if 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 the game is played on the edge of Spurs' penalty area Spurs will lose They've got to find a way for that not to be the case. And I know the idea is you draw Arsenal on, then you spring past them. But Arsenal have got too many good players at the moment. In, 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 in Sacco, I didn't even mention him when I was talking about Odegaard and Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus. Sacco, has got, when he's not playing left wing back for, in some ridiculous system, I think he's got the second most assists in the Premier League this season. Um, of midfield players, certainly. You know, they, they've got talent coming out of their eyeballs over there at the moment. And if we stand there and wait for them to somehow punch themselves out, like Muhammad Ali against George Foreman all those years ago, I think we might be the famous two goals down before um, we, we're forced to make some kind of change. I hope I'm wrong. And I think there's, I mean, I think you are wrong in the sense yeah, well, that... Well, actually, uh, you can't possibly know that until after the actual football well, no, match. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, just in the sense that Tottenham are going to play how you don't want them to play. Yes, they are. Like, there's no... Like, um, I, I think the most interesting player for me going to this game is Son because the way that Tottenham are going to play is so dependent on Son can, you know, someone hitting the ball over the top and Son turns it into a goal in a way which we've seen him do quite a lot in the past, but not this season until the Leicester game. Now, if he can play like he did against Leicester, I think Tottenham have got a really good chance because it, it he requires so such a, a tiny little window to turn it into a goal. But Jack, if Jack, 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 he, did, he, he races, did all that when Spurs were playing seven up front. Well, he was, and he also did it against a much worse, a much much worse Spurs team. Spurs got stuck into a Leicester team in exactly the way that I'm suggesting, and he looked great yeah. in song because he got a lot of possession around yeah. the edge of his box. I mean, a frightening stat someone put up on the on the internet. So they're not necessarily to be trusted. So far, according to Opta, so far this season of non-defenders, the most successful player dribbling with the ball in the Premier League is Martin Odegaard. The most unsuccessful is Son Heung-Ming. Um, with less than 10% success rate. But we all know he goes through these phases and he might turn it around against Arsenal and dribble past six of their players and slap one in from 35 yards. I, I mean, I, I, I stand to be corrected on Monday, Jack, but if it's on the back of a Spurs victory, I shall enjoy it very much indeed. James, you're waving your just, hand at me there. Just to loop back around to Arsenal's XG, yes. according to the guys at understat.com, one of my favourite XG mm. websites, where that's why I buy a lot of my XG, uh, they are overperforming this season by 2.83 goals on XG. So, And what does that mean? Spurs are overperforming by 5.5. So they're not they're overperforming by not by as much as Spurs. So my my point broadly stands. Which of the that? several excellent points that you made is this backing up? <laughs> it's better for it to be a tighter game for Spurs in this instance because Spurs are more clinical. Right now, yeah, and I'm going to ask pure, pure suffer ball. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to suffer over your Saturday lunch, Danny. Would um, sorry? Would you settle for a draw, James? Um. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. I mean, I, I, I draw away to the team top of the league 
a quarter of the weight-ish into the season, I, I don't really think you can see that as a bad result, can you? I mean, circumstances notwithstanding, obviously we don't know the way the game's going to play out. If they're 2-0 up and playing against seven men or whatever, then that would be bad. But broadly speaking, shorn of context, I would say yes. No, no, of course not. I'll, I'll go further. I'd settle for two draws against Arsenal this season because that's just no, the, that's the way rubbish. my life works rubbish. out. Rubbish. No, 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 all right. No, no. You don't have to put up better with them. To have a defeat in a, better to have a defeat and a win than that. Uh, Points-wise, yeah, but what about what about your heart, your soul, your mentality? That's long gone. That's gone. Okay. That. All right. We were going to talk about set pieces, but I think we talked about enough things mm-hmm. up to now. If Spurs, remind me, if Spurs win or lose this game off back a set piece, remind me on Monday that we didn't talk about the importance of set pieces in this game. Um, I'm going to do the outro now, though, which I normally do, but don't go away because after that there's a secret track like there used to be on it on cds um so we've done all we can to preview the game my nerves are jangling um if you're not already an athletic subscriber remember you can uh, sign up to read all of the brilliant spurs coverage um this season as well as everything else that's on the site just go to theathletic.com forward slash spurs pod and sign in right now and you can get the first six months for just one pound per month I want to thank Jack and I want to thank James for their contributions. I want to thank all of you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday. But just before we leave you, we thought we'd bring you an extended clip from the Athletic Football Tactics podcast, who themselves have previewed the derby this week. To listen to the whole episode, just search for the Athletic Football Tactics podcast wherever you get yours. Cheers for now. An equal issue between Conte's philosophies in possession and how he wants his team to build up and issues with the personnel within the team in terms of, let's say, the centre-backs and how comfortable they are on the ball? Or is it weighted, in your opinion, more towards the players, more towards the tactical approach? It's a bit towards the players and that they're still learning. So at the beginning of the season, when Conti was asked about the new players, he said they're still learning. The thing is, Conti depends a lot on... um, automations in possession. So he trains actually these build-ups over and over and over again till the players actually know it by heart. Mm. So some of the players still haven't adapted. Some of the new players, I mean, Sanchez is is way worse than Romero in possession. And another thing is that other teams are, are figuring Conte's build-up patterns out. So if we saw the game against Chelsea, so Chelsea, like in, in, in terms of Chelsea's pressing, they pressed with a 5-3-2. Havertz and Sterling were mainly like moving uh, to press the the back three of Spurs. Mount and Kante were on Bentancur and Heiberg, and Jorginho like behind them just to cover space in 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 case like Kane drops or Kulsev or to or Kulsevsky was trying to drop. And the major major thing we saw is how uh, Reece James was man marking Son. So this way, the, the um, how Spurs want to build up, you're blocking everything. So you're mm. blocking the three-two build up. You're blocking Kulusevski and Son in the half spaces. So teams are slightly figuring them out in terms of how Spurs want to build up. So I think uh, one thing uh, Conte tried to do, and he did it before with Inter, is that instead of building up with a three or um, a four with one of the wingbacks dropping deeper, he moves actually the center center back, which is Eric Dyer, up into midfield mm. and keeps the wingbacks deep. So it's actually more of a 4-3-3 build-up. I think he tried that against Leicester, not to much success, but this is something he did before with Inter and I can see him doing it in the future when the players adapt. You were at that game 
against Leicester, Michael. And it struck me that, you know, if you were to look on the Opta analyst numbers for the season, uh, you know, what we're hearing about Spurs is, is build up being a little under par. Uh, it doesn't necessarily tally with the numbers because they've had the, you know, fourth most or third equal most shots from open play, uh, fourth for XG, but very close to Liverpool and Arsenal here and 11 goals from open play, which is the, the second equal most with Arsenal. But is that game against Leicester doing a lot of heavy lifting there, do you think? Yeah, it is. They kind of outperformed their XG in that game really as well, thanks to Son with a couple of incredible goals. And I think that game really suited the way Tottenham play because Leicester are quite positive but quite disorganised without the ball and defensively. And I think they, they left space for for Spurs to break into and also allowed them to uh, to score a couple of quite easy goals from set pieces. So, so yeah, I think you're right. I think that game did suit them. I think there's an argument for saying that Arsenal play in a way that might suit Tottenham as well in terms of their defend rel- relatively high at the pitch. Um, so, yeah, they might turn out to be one of those sides who look a bit better against good opponents than they do against weaker opponents. And do you think if Antonio Conte weren't listening to this pod, he might say some of the things that we're discussing here are... a decision by him is basically some of the things we're discussing some of the ways of building up is the whole point of Conte's football and would point at results and say not going too badly is it yeah I I quite like it when Conte I don't know if you notice this whenever he answers a question Conte he starts with the word but yeah so it always sounds like he's arguing with the, the person <laughs> or that they've missed the point, which I think he probably would say about us. I mean, I think it's a slightly complex thing. I think it's easy to look at Tottenham and say, well, they're not playing that well this season. I think an obvious counter argument to that is, well, they're not trying to dominate games. They're not trying to look good permanently in 90 minutes. But I think Ahmed's right in the sense that they're still not playing well. They're not doing those things in terms of breaking from back to front in possession as well as they were at times last season. So... um yeah, uh, maybe he would say we are slightly missing the point, but I still think they've been a little bit underwhelming and a little fortunate at times to get the results that they have done. The Athletic. <laughs> 